Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Well, hey there, and welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC, the podcast that's going to help you get a little bit smarter when it comes to your finances, hopefully helps you get a little better educated along the way. Walter Storholt here with David Dickens, President and Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors with an office in Overland Park. You can find us online at CoverYourAssetsKC.com. And David, as promised on the last episode, you've assembled some great listener questions on today's program, and we're going to get uh, the chance to dive into the nitty and gritty of some of these questions. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. I think we're going to cover kind of a kind of a wide swath, but frankly, that's what my any given week looks like. Uh, in my office. So, you know, a little social security, a little life insurance strategy, um, maybe a little bit of uh, one spouse wants to leave a bunch of money for the kids and the other one doesn't. Well, that's actually a great point. Not only a microcosm of your standard week, I would imagine, but even your just your standard day or even a standard meeting, because I'm sure some of the, some people out there will uh, maybe have multiple things going on with their financial life and financial plan. And, you know, it's not just a one subject meeting that you have with people. You cover lots of different topics and, and grounds. So that's why I love doing these episodes, because we get to kind of hit on not just one little section of the financial planning world, but multiple layers. And we're certainly going to do that in today's show. So. Let's get to it, shall we? Al has our first question. Um, Maybe we're going in alphabetical order today, perhaps. (laughs) Um, And Al is first up. By the way, if you want to submit a question that might get featured on a future show, you can shoot David a quick email, ddickens at kcfa.com. Al says, David, should I start my Social Security at 62 to help pay off my house before I retire? Yeah, so Al, that's a good question. I actually have dealt with that probably five or six times in the last year with um, with clients. So the answer is, as you might guess, not straightforward, but it, you can kind of peel it back to a couple of different things. How long are you going to live, Al? Which, of course, we don't know. And do you have a spouse, Al? And you know that, but we don't know that. So how I want to frame this up is, every, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know, or frankly, if you're pretty well read, you know that the longer you wait to take your Social Security, the more money they're going to send you. And so I went out today, I logged into my own ssa.gov account, and they they have a new, um, a little bit of a new format that just came out, and one of them is this cool little form called Ready Retirement. And so the best way to sum this up for Al is, Al, if you had, if you were going to get $2,000 a month at your full retirement age, which we don't know how old you are, but let's just say that's age 66 and six months. Uh, So if you wait till full retirement age, you're going to get two grand. If you take it at age 62, you're going to get 1500 bucks a month instead of two grand. And if you're able to wait till you're 70, you get 2640 bucks a month. So the difference between taking it at 62 and paying down that mortgage uh, or waiting till 70 when it maxes out is almost 14 grand a year for the rest of your life. So, Al, the, the, part of the answer is, if, uh, so I ran a little break-even. If, if you live past age 79, then you will have wished that you would have waited. Waited till 79, certainly, but, but um, I didn't run the break-even if you just waited till your full retirement age, but you'd be happier at some time around your 80th birthday. So generally, as, as anybody besides Al is listening to this podcast, 
you can kind of assume that without doing a bunch of research that your break even for taking it early or later is about age 80 or 79 to 81. And that's because Social Security is built to be actuarially sound. In other words, whether you start early or you start late, if you die right around your early 80s, you're going to get the same amount of money. But if you live longer, you're better off having waited because the dollar amounts are bigger and the cost of living increase you get each year is applied to, a, to that bigger number. And then, uh, Al, the one other thing you want to know is that if you have a spouse and you die first, which is super common in America, guys just tend to die younger than, than women do, uh, your wife, assuming that she earned less than you during her career, or maybe she was a stay-at-home mom, she's going to start taking your Social Security because it will be the bigger dollar amount each month. So if you happen to have waited longer, she's going to have a better Social Security payment after you're gone. So, Al, you know, we don't know your specific situation, but I would say the probabilities are high that unless you think you're going to die, unless there's some thing in your family line that says you're likely to die before 79 or 80, you're probably better off waiting till at least your full retirement age and maybe age 70 if you can pull that off. It's a great question. I always love it when uh, it's a great example of it. it's a short question, but there was an extra little kind of addition to this question that then led us down many other holes. Like it wasn't just, should I start my Social Security at 62? Because that's a question that, you know, you get from time to time. But this one had the specific motivation of wanting to pay off the house before retiring. And so it brings to light multiple issues and moving parts to try and answer that question. So interesting how just adding one little thing on can then kind of change the whole dynamic of the question. And uh, I'll, I'll put that into great perspective for us on the show. He did. And, and one thing we didn't really, a rabbit trail we didn't go down, but we've talked about it on past podcasts is Al's probably pretty late in his 30-year mortgage. Maybe he's in year 22 or 25 or 26. Most of what he's paying isn't interest, but it's principal. So once his mortgage is gone, he's still going to have his insurance and his taxes to pay. He won't have any interest, but frankly, in those latter years of your mortgage, the interest is a really small component of your mortgage. People say, oh, I don't want to have a mortgage in retirement. You're still going to have part of that mortgage payment that you think of because you're going to have taxes and insurance. So it is a, it is a complicated question. Uh, but once you think through the three or four component parts, it becomes a pretty easy decision. Great question, Al. Thanks for sending that one in to us. If you'd like to talk to David about your particular situation, you can always reach out by calling 913-317-1414. If you'd like to go through the detailed planning process known as the CPR, the complete planning review that David takes clients through to make sure that they get a great plan in place and well-prepared for financial future and uh, obstacles that need to be overcome and ready for retirement, uh, you need to go through that full planning process. You can also go online to coveryourassetskc.com or check the description or show notes section of today's show for the necessary links to get in touch. All right, over to Diana on our uh, mailbag listener question episode today. Diana says, I've heard about a strategy that uses life insurance to create income for yourself in retirement. Is this a legitimate strategy? Yeah, so Diane, that is a legitimate strategy. And the income, if you take it right, correctly, out of that insurance policy is actually tax-free in the vast majority of cases. So it can be a really good strategy. I will say it, it really only works if you start it in your 40s or 50s, maybe in your early 60s. But by the time you're in your late 60s and early 70s, now there are some really good uses for life insurance 
in those age brackets, but this is not one of them. So who should explore this? First of all, I don't think this is a good do-it-yourselfer strategy. You're probably going to do this with either an index universal life or some sort of variable life policy. And who should explore it? Well, typically it would be high earners, uh, high earners in your 40s and 50s, uh, high net worth people in their 40s, 50s, and early 60s, people that are in good health because it's life insurance and it's going to cost you a lot more, probably prohibitively more, if you're not in good health. And again, it's complicated. So I would encourage you that if you're thinking about this, get some really good advice. It's a really good question. Once again, Diana, thank you for sending that one in to us. Life insurance, definitely one of those questions that comes up in uh, retirement planning and income planning and uh, trying to use life insurance products for income. Lots of people have questions about that, so you are not alone. Good one to bring up on today's show. All right, Victoria has something for you to think about here, David. Victoria says, my husband wants to leave a lot of money to the kids, but I've worked hard to be able to retire and don't want to scrimp and save the rest of my life. (laughs) What do you see as a reasonable amount to leave as a legacy? (laughs) Walter, you might be surprised. Victoria, you might be surprised how often I have this discussion in my office with with clients who basically just kind of disagree about this topic. So I'll say right off the top, there's no right answer. People like um, Warren Buffett and Bill and Melinda Gates, who are, of course, now divorced, um, other billionaires, they've decided to give it all away. Or maybe they're, they're putting 1% or 2% of their net worth, which, of course, are huge, to heirs, but they're giving all the rest of it away. So for the rest of us, one thing you'd want to consider, Victoria, is are there certain of your heirs that are actually going to need that money? And that may be a really good reason to try to target a specific amount to leave to that particular heir. Maybe they're a special needs person or some other reason you can think of. Maybe you have heirs that you're convinced can't handle it. And so either you're not going to leave them much or you're going to leave it in a trust where they can only get certain amounts of it at certain times. You mentioned, I think you phrased it, what do I see as a reasonable amount to leave as a legacy? So maybe your legacy has more to do with charitable giving than leaving it to, to heirs, to people in your family. So if that's the case, well, maybe you have a nice round number. You want to, you if you're doing really well for yourself, maybe you want to put a wing on your church or give, uh, build a new library for your university. Maybe it's uh, giving money to a local Uh, charity that's really important to you. Whatever that is, those are pretty cool things to have as goals. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with uh, restricting your spending to try to accomplish those goals. Your husband's goal sounds like it might be more. Let's enjoy our retirement while we can. And so maybe that's in your first 10 years of retirement. That's what I see a lot is between 65 and 75, people have a lot of energy and a lot of go. And after that, less so. And the money they have is more reserved for home health care or assisted living needs. So I think the key, Victoria, is don't leave this decision to chance. It's a lot of times a tough conversation to have with your spouse, but it's an important one to have with your spouse. You need to agree on the plan, agree on the strategy, and also make sure that you, on a regular basis, hopefully annually, check who your beneficiaries are. For each of these accounts. And if you have a trust, make sure that those beneficiaries of your trust assets still are who you want them to be. Terrific question, Victoria. We get to work with it all the time. 
No right answer, but you want to make sure you get to an answer that you and your spouse agree with. It's another good one. Thank you very much, Victoria, for asking us that one. We've talked so far about insurance and income, Social Security, and paying off your house, and now talking about leaving a legacy. And we get to take it in yet another direction with our fourth question here, and we'll be able to squeeze in a fifth one as well. But Ron has this next one for us, and Ron says, I'm anticipating a market crash any day now. So I have about half of my IRA in cash. That means I have about 350 k that's not really making any money. So I don't want to just leave it there for too long. How long should I wait to reinvest it? So, Ron, you've asked the $350,000 question. Um, so, Ron, you are market timing. And you're, you might not be thinking about it as market timing, but you are trying to be a market timer. And that's almost always a bad idea since it requires two correct calls to be right. You have to know when to get out and you have to know when to get back in. So for instance, today we're recording this on May 17th, 2021. If you got out on May 7th, well, the S&P is down almost 2% right now and you're probably feeling okay about yourself. You might've picked the top and now we're gonna have this big market crash. But if you got out on March 30th, just six weeks ago, well, the market S&P is up four and a half percent since then. So you need a bigger correction to be right. Let's say that you got out at the at December 31st of last year. You said, you know what? I think 2021 is going to be really rocky. Well, the S&P 500 is up almost 11% since you got out. And let's just say that when, when Biden got elected, you go, oh my gosh, you could not see anything good happening out of that. And you say, I'm out. I'm going to wait because this thing's coming down. Well, you're down almost 17%. In other words, the market is up 17% since election day. So it's really, really hard to time the market. So what I do here, and what I'd encourage you to do, I'm a, I'm a rules-based investor for myself and my clients. And I know that based on study of markets over decades, that time spent in the market beats timing the market. So you want to be in because markets go up 82 or 85% of the time. And occasionally there's a really bad downturn. And so what I try to do is use my rules-based decisioning to identify uh, market conditions where a significant downturn is more highly probable. Well, that doesn't happen very often. I use a combination of moving averages and relative strength indexes. And um, all of those right now point to the fact that we're in a long-term uptrend. So, Ron, I can't tell you when to get back in because I, I think you should be in right now. I don't know your situation. I don't know your risk tolerance. I don't know your age. But generally speaking, market timing is a bad idea. What you would like to have is some sort of mechanism to help you identify times when probability of a significant downturn is high. And right now, again, the indicators I look at do not indicate that there's a high probability of a significant sustained market downturn. So good luck, Ron. Um, and you know what? Let me know how it worked out for you. There's something that I think is telling about this exact question. And it's the fact that one, David, we've gotten this question a billion times before. <laughs> and two, you, we've gotten this question literally, probably, every single day for the last 
well, your entirety of your career, I would imagine, right? So doesn't that tell you something interesting when people are kind of always sensing that there's going to be a market crash? (laughs) Everyone's going through this mental exercise constantly. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, so there's a lot of studies that have been done over the decades about this, and it always, almost always boils down to the fact that people really like it when the market's going up, but they hate losing money. So the pain that they feel of, lose, of seeing their accounts go down is way bigger than the joy they feel when it's going up. So we're always kind of looking around the corner trying to see if the boogeyman is right around there. And that's market timing. And it usually ends up with less money in your accounts than more. And we want it to be the other way around, right? (laughs) We do. (laughs) Ron, it's a good question, though, and uh, it's a popular one. A lot of people asking that one all the time. So hopefully that gives you some perspective and uh, ways to think about that issue that's on your mind. All right, last question for you on this episode is from April. April says, my husband and I plan to take care of one another as we get older, unless one of us is just in extremely bad health. Since this is our plan, how much long-term care coverage do we really need? So, April, that's a super good question. It's very difficult to answer. I don't know, I don't know your age, but let's just say that you're 65 and you're thinking about you're, you're getting ready to retire. Uh, you're thinking about end-of-life issues, and that's why now you're thinking about should we buy long-term care coverage. Long-term care policies are getting tougher to find, frankly, and more expensive. And the older you are... <laughs> the vastly more expensive they are. So the other thing you want to consider is, I don't know what your uh, accounts in your estate look like, but let's just say you live in Kansas, and at age 65, right now, long-term care costs about 80 grand a year in Kansas. If we have an inflation rate on long-term care services of 5% a year, by the time you're 85 April, which is about the time you'd probably need it, that 80 grand a year is going to cost 160 grand a year. So you need to have fairly significant amount of assets. Let's say that you or your husband need long-term care for three years. Well, that's almost a half a million dollars of long-term care. Maybe you are able to do it at your house, but I've got clients who are long ago retired and one of them needs care right now. And the other is, you know, relatively healthy, but certainly not healthy enough to care for that person. So now they have someone coming into their home, which is sometimes pretty difficult to find too. So what you'd want to do, I think, is you want to, you want to decide earlier rather than later. 50s or 60s is, is the best time to decide on a strategy. But you can have alternatives to a long-term care policy, like, for instance, certain permanent life insurance policies come with living benefits. Uh, Certain annuities come with uh, lifetime income that also has something called a home health care doubler. There are different ways to get long-term care coverage for your family without actually buying a long-term care policy. Those are use it or lose it. If you never need the long-term care policy, well, you've paid premiums and you never got to use the benefit. Some of these other ways of going about it leave you with a pretty good amount of coverage, and if you never need it, the people that you leave behind, in other words, your heirs, will have a life, a life policy that would give them a tax-free death benefit. So April, super complicated. Well, sorry, my answer was a little complicated, but you've asked a complicated question, and I think what you'd want to do is 
sit down with someone who can walk you through the alternatives. And it may very well be that you want to self-insure this. You don't want to do anything as far as insuring that other than using your own assets in the future if you need it. But it may be that you need a different solution. And at that point, you'd want somebody who uh, could walk you through the different alternatives and help you decide on an alternative that's best for you and your husband and your family. April, thank you so much for submitting that question to us, and I think it'd be a great idea for you and the others who ask questions on today's show, or if you're listening and have similar questions to these, it's probably a good sign that you should go through the complete planning review process, or at least inquire about it with David and the team at KC Financial Advisors. If you'd like to set up that time to meet or just want to chat beforehand to find out if you'd be a good fit to work with David and the team and ask these kinds of questions on your own, you can do that by calling 913-317-1414. That's the number, 913-317-1414. Or go online to coveryourassetskc.com. There's plenty of ways to get in touch via the website. And we'll put links to uh, the necessary contact info in the description of today's show as well. So lots of easy ways for you to get in touch and ask these kinds of questions and get into some uh, personal guidance where you can get into more detail with David. Uh, If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. David, thanks for uh, playing along and being a good sport, uh, answering some of these questions from our listeners. I know we get to throw some curveballs at you each episode, but it didn't sound like anything tripped you up too much on today's episode. These are my most fun podcasts because they really <laughs> deal with uh, things that are on people's minds now. And almost always, if they're on somebody's mind, they're on a lot of people's minds. So hopefully it was a good episode. It's like when you're in when you were in school back in the day and someone asks a question that you'd been thinking about all class, but you didn't want to raise your hand and ask the question, and you go, Whew, I'm glad they asked the question. <laughs> that 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 probably saved me more than a few times in school, being too shy to maybe ask the question. But somebody else did it for me. Thank you. Um, that, that same thing happens with this, and I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, don't hes- those of you who like to ask the questions, don't hesitate to ask them because somebody else out there is probably wishing that you'll do the same. Uh, for David Dickens, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for taking the time out to join us this week. We've got a good episode on tap for next week. As I understand it, the shoe will be on the other foot. It'll be me under the the heat lamps next week. Uh, David has given me a little bit of a of a preview of what's to come. So we'll see what that's all about. Come next episode right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Be sure to join us. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and KC Financial Advisors are independent of each other.